warning, this show uses explicit language and adult topics. And just in case you needed the reminder, you are about to hear a comedy show, or at least an attempt at one. So without further ado and further introductions, let's get disappointing. Well, if you don't like my show, don't curse your radio, you know that no one likes my company anyway. But if you listen closely and talk intelligently, then maybe you can be a disappointment. Please enjoy your first culture shock. Uh, Michael, this is definitely dedicated to you, and every song is, but it's like I did the Kenny Cheesney for Teresa, I'm doing All About Michael on this culture shock. Uh, every song is of Michael's because he is a musician, and why not support musicians because he's a damn good one. Um, this first song is the actual name of the album that he gave me. I have it sitting on my desk right now. Um, it's vinyl. It's awesome. His wife drew it, and we talk about it in the show, and you'll enjoy. It's the name of the album, so it's got to be a good song, too. It's Dust Off My Heart. Michael, this is for you. It's actually by you. Enjoy, I guess. <laughs> Time left to make 
off my heart by you know who it's my guest michael <laughs> uh, my next song michael of yours that is actually a cover but i don't care because it's done beautifully um all your love i miss loving i love it and i just when i first heard it i was like this is absolutely phenomenal so i figured why not play the version that you did um <laughs> i'm kidding because it's amazing i'm not trying to belittle it um i'm playing it for god's sake well that was the one from me uh <laughs> k for listening to this um i don't know i hope michael made you proud because we talked a lot about love and he brought you up a lot so he must love you he at least convinced me so um so don't lose him because all your love i'm sure he would miss loving it's kind of a joke of this song because it's called all your love i miss loving but and enjoy after this
back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Disappointing Radio Show. I am DJ Disappointment, and you are listening to the biggest trash fire that could ever fill your ears, car, bass systems, or however else you try to play sound. Maybe you've hooked up an old phonograph. Just like this episode, I found an old piece of equipment that I think is fucking awesome and badass, and I'm re reintroducing it to the world because you do not need to uh, forget this piece of technology because this technology is a person with a heart and soul that knows how to play blues, pick up six strings, and fuck bitches. I don't know about that last one, but we'll find out because in chair one is Michael Locke, everybody, and this is the show. So like I just said, we'll just jump right back into how we're talking. All right. So one thing I do want to ask you, because I know we were just talking about it off camera and I'm not, we're not going to talk about the album immediately. Uh, I just want to look at it. But you were talking about like being a teacher and uh -huh. like the struggles with that. And sometimes you butt heads. What? So that you told me a bad experience. Tell me your favorite experience from teaching. Well, I love watching people grow. I, yeah. love, I love watching them get better, improve. And when they do the right thing, you can see the spark in their eye. You can see generally it mattered to them. Yeah, you could see it happen live right in front of you. And then, you know, I've got plenty of students that have gone on to play professionally, and uh, yeah, that's fun. What would you say the, the yield is for students, like, taking it, running with it, and becoming something? It can't be too big. It can't be over, like, half. No, no, it's not even close. It's more like 90-some uh, percent become proficient at what they want to do. Yeah. One percent go on to do something the next really step. really yeah. big yeah. what would you say on average is your student count like currently um it it goes between 30 and 40 okay do you think that's a manageable number especially with like new and again this is after rona still in it like issues you said that you're utilizing like online sessions a lot mm -hmm. and i think that's really clever because that way the student doesn't have to travel as far and like I don't know. I feel like it could potentially be cheaper for the lessons if they don't have to, like, show up in person. But then again, like, I would argue you should pay more if it's in person because you're getting that, oh, I can put your fingers here. Like, right. McCutcheon was really big about just getting your personal space and putting your fingers on the strings and all that kind of stuff. So, like, are you that kind of teacher or are you a little more hands-off? Well, I do both. Um, actually, I, I'm teaching at Jim McCutcheon's school. That's amazing. So all the students came through his school and his, his influences and... Um, He's, he's probably the most amazing teacher I've ever seen in a lot of respects. Um, but 95% of my students now are online because of their choice, because yeah. of the virus. But yeah. um, I prefer seeing people in person. In person. I do too. And again, this is why I don't do the show over phone if I can help it. I know it sucks to randomly show up to an apartment building and it's like, where the fuck am I? But like, I, I there's something about the, the level of like comedy that comes from like, Yes, you can make somebody laugh over a phone call, but when you get to actually see their eyes flicker and like, the, like see their neck constrain over their vocal cords, not making sound because they're just <laughs> like they're so into it. Like there's just something different. Like and again, that's with concerts. That's with anything. Like I just, I just think the the in personness is a lot more tangible. Like the vinyl. Like I just there's something about the scale of the size of it, touching it, hearing the sure. the dust yeah. on the needle yeah. and the pop. Like, I, I know my things. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, because we don't do video on the show, let me point it out one time. I fucking love your shirt. I don't oh, know. thank you. Is that, like, what? what is that? It's a, a Fender shirt. I okay. guess Fender designed. 
because I love that it's all black, which I wear a lot black, and it has a little bit of design on the front, and then on the back, it's literally a masterpiece of, like, skulls, guitars, <laughs> badassery, so I'm like, this is amazing. Um, okay, so let me dive into Michael a little bit, because I try not to make it like an interview too much, because I think it should just be two friends talking, but I do want to give you a chance to sound like this god of a guitar player, <laughs> um, but before we do that, we got to know the man behind the strings, so let me ask you this. You have been married how long to Kay? Uh, this year, 17 years. Wow. Any regrets? Longer? No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> She's going to be listening. She's, you're going to be listening to this in person. You're going to look over like, yeah, any regrets, Michael? <laughs> no, she's uh, she's the, a keeper for sure because I've never been with anything, any person, any th object 17 years except my guitars <laughs> and my records. So, She was the thing that stuck around. Yeah. That's funny. Um, do you think... Like, having somebody do what she does influences your music at all? No, but she does, personally. Not, okay. not her Define employment. That. Oh, just... Um, like, her presence? Yeah. We, we basically, although it's like a real corny thing, we understand that we're one. No, that's totally perfect. Yeah. I know, you can have... That's not corny at all. But, like, me and Abby say that, and sometimes we freak people out on how one-like we are. Mm -hmm. Like, because I'll just... Like, okay, I'll give you an example. Always Sunny in Philadelphia is my favorite show in the world because they're pushing boundaries for sitcoms. And, like, Frank, who's Danny DeVito in the show, he always calls Deandra a bitch. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of picked it up with Abby. And I love Abby to death, but, I mean, little thing. We'll be in public, and she'll be like, do you want eggs? And it's like, bitch, I don't know. And she'll start <laughs> laughing. So then people don't really know how to take it. Because obviously right. it's an inside thing, it's our thing, but then right. when people hear me go out loud, bitch, I don't know, there's a definitely negative stigma to that. Do, and I ask this to a lot of married couples on the show, do you have any like inside jokes with Kay? Like something you could say that you know she'll fucking snicker up about, or like... <laughs> I can't think of anything. It's a hard, it's a, it's one of those hard things to pin, because I don't even know like what to call it, like a, an inside it, it would joke. Be, it would uh, probably be so natural that I don't know that it's there. Yeah, that's true, too. It just kind of yeah. is always happening. We always talk about we should have a code word, like, you know, if something starts going awry, you just say hippos or something. But neither one of us <laughs> ever have that. a safe word. Not, oh, my God, not like a safe word for sex, but like a safe word for, like, like out in real life where we'll just say it, and that means, like, shit's weird. Like, <laughs> so we'll just say, like, goulash, and she'll be like, oh, God, really? <laughs> Um, so I, the only reason I ask is because I feel sometimes bad internally, emotionally, and sometimes spiritually about doing this show because I know my mom is a lawyer. I know she wants to be a judge. Well, how does it look when a judge has a son who says, piss shit, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, cunt, bitch, and everything else in between like George Carlin did? But then if you let me defend myself, I'll tell you, hey, that's one of the most famous comedic bits ever to exist. And now, today, we use that as a guideline for what dirty words you should and shouldn't say on live radio. Mm -hmm. So, like, <laughs> I promise there's a reason for this. You can, you can prick your finger, right? Yeah. But you can't finger a prick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, I don't know. I just, I guess I worried about it. And then I thought having you come on could help me shed a little light on my life to be like, well, you know, is Kay, now Kay, Kay's a judge, right? Nope. No. Uh, I guess their title is a managing uh, manager, managing attorney for the uh, juvenile court system. Court system. Ohio, probably, public or whatever. Defenders. Yeah, public defenders. Um, 
I just, I just, I don't know. Because I, I guess yours isn't as scary because you're just doing very sweet sounds on guitars and very nice <laughs> blues. And, like, it's nothing that is what I'm doing. So I guess there is a little bit of a difference. But, like, do you, do you see what I mean? Like, should I feel bad about what I want to do? Because it No. No? No, you shouldn't feel bad about what you want to do. You should live your life. Okay. You know, your mom and dad lived their life. It's yeah, true. You're living your life. They had 45 years of it. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> roughly a good guess of an age for at least my dad. Um, and there's, uh, you know, how many times uh, I've got a bottle of Budweiser in my hand, I'm standing on a table with a guitar behind my head, you know. It's, yeah. My wife loved it. She was yeah. right, right there with me. You know, that that's a good example because I was always worried once I realized, like, once the sentence finally came out of my mouth of, like, I should be a stand-up. It was already in motion. Like, it, there was no stopping it. So the big fear that I had was not, am I funny? It was honestly, will I find somebody to spend my life with that can put up with the tomfoolery? Uh-huh. Because that's a worry. Because I'm an asshole. <laughs> and when I found Abby, that was it. Because I, again, like we talked about Mike, we do all these hilarious things to live a very funny life. So when you tell these stories on stage, it's genuine. Mm -hmm. It's real. Right. And that way, it's maybe just a little more relatable. And... Like you said, you're on tables with guitars. I'm talking to random chicks at faux shops who are like 65, and they said, do you know what you're getting? And I said, like a bisexual kid in his prime, I have no idea what my options are. <laughs> and they love that joke. And then 20 minutes, I came back, and they said, oh, are you going to get it? And I was like, well, like that same bisexual teen in his prime, the curiosity has pulled me in. <laughs> I just, I don't know. There's something about making strangers laugh yeah. that is just so much better than making a friend laugh because they don't know me i could be a stranger homicidal maniac and yet they're still laughing i'm sitting here <laughs> i'm sitting here <laughs> i'm still doing it um but it just i guess it does worry me to a degree that this being dj disappointment doing stand-up taking on the comedic persona is gonna offend my family but then like i have a lot of grandparents that like it i have a lot of cousins that like the show I think it's the the close family. It's McKenna, mom, and dad. They mm -hmm. just don't really seem to like like it at all. Well, so somewhat somewhat related to that, uh, my my dad always wanted me to be a guitar player. Always wanted me. He to play wanted jazz. you to he be. He wanted guitar? me to. That's, that's fucking bullshit. That's you had the support out your goddamn ass. But my mom always wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, or something. Something like practical, that. Yeah. like yeah. And so. I fought with that for a long time. and then, Which do I go? No, no. I was... no. I you was were pretty always, set into the guitar. I was always playing guitar. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't even study in school. I just played guitar, <laughs> you know? And uh, so even today, I mean, I, it was actually I was sick when I was young, so I can't really spell very well. I was in a hospital. Okay. But I never tried to learn because when I got out, I played guitar. Yeah. And you're, so, and you're just more of a verbal kind of guy. K-A-T. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, but as time goes on, yeah. so um, uh, it's how it sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's how it like, sounds. Uh, I'm trying to make you sound like this guy guitar player, and they're gonna be like, "This man can't spell cat." <laughs> that's all right. And so, uh, so I'm playing gigs, I'm playing in clubs and stuff, and you know, making a hundred bucks here and there. <clears throat> One day, as things were inching up, I played at Lockhart Stadium in front of ten thousand people. With Chuck Berry. Wait, what? How, well, hold on, hold on. Where does this... Where, that's a big step up. Well, yeah. You so, said you felt the step up, and I felt... I was literally about to ask him, like, did you feel... Could you literally, as it was happening, could you feel yourself progressing in the art industry? No. 
No. No. Even Until it was there, and then you were like, oh shit, something happened. There must have been step-ups. Usually, usually I only think that looking back. Looking Never up, forward, it was just another current. day. Okay. And, it was just, uh, this is what today is. Right. Okay. Right. So it started, you know, I was playing clubs, and then I got, met 50s people, so I backed them up. Then I backed up all of these 50s people, and then I was at Lockhart Stadium. But the point of the, the story wasn't that I was at Lockhart Stadium as much as my mom was in the audience, and the news crew came by. Oh. She said, oh, that's my son, that's my son. And I was thinking, oh, don't you want a, a doctor or a lawyer right now? You know? The doctor and lawyer's not going to ever be on the jumbo screen being that's like, right. I love you, mom! Right. They're going to maybe be in the surgery room being like, oh, fuck, I killed this kid. I <laughs> yeah. really should tell my mom I love her more. That's yeah. a different feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite style of music to play? Uh, well, what I've done most of my life was was blues. Right, and I knew that. Blues. Yeah. But I was about to say, do you think that came from the interest or what you thought people wanted to listen to? or? Uh, it was just a progression. I went to jazz school at the University of Miami in South Florida. you like Florida. jazz? I love jazz. <laughs> Frank Zappa used to say, jazz isn't dead, it just smells funny. But oh, that's but a different. That's an interesting thought. I just like jazz in general. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I just I never needed a reason to like jazz, but that's a good reason to get people to like jazz. So yeah, I always I, that's what I went to school for. That's what I wanted to do, and but you want to make a living too. Right. So every time I went out to to do a gig or play a gig, it turned out to be like fifties gigs and rock kind of gigs. Was that a problem to you though? No, because that was part of making a living as a guitar player. I wasn't. Because you have to be versatile. Yeah, I wasn't. My my idea at the time wasn't to be an artist. It was to be a working musician. And that's a different feeling. That was the original yeah. concept. And then as I grew up and grew older and stuff, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a working musician as much as I want to be an artist. And so that this, happened the, when I was about 30. The transition just kind of swapped at some point. Right. But they still kind of go hand in hand. It's the, Well, yeah, if you're an artist, you can still work. And, yeah. you know, you can still do both things. But it's a realization that you're not in competition with anybody. Yes. And That's then maybe the potentially, okay, now that I'm not worried about album sales, touring, and all this stuff, I can just focus on how does it sound. Right. Is it perfect? Right. Are you a perfectionist? I'm a perfectionist with no skills. <laughs> That's a funny way to put that. Michael Jackson said he was always a perfectionist, and he always always had to redo the track, redo the track, redo the track. And I don't feel like that with comedy, because I feel like the first thing to come out of your mouth is what it is. It's either funny or not, and then if it is, great. If not, recourse. Try to make it funny. But when it comes to music, I definitely understand the need to like redo, redo, redo. Do you have a lot of that when it comes to your albums? Yeah, uh, both are true. So I've recorded where I've made mistakes, and I thought that's what happened in the moment. Leave it. It should be there. Yeah, and then More I've genuine. also and th yeah, and I've also done stuff that had multiple tracks, thirty-two tracks. So that that wasn't a live situation. So yeah, you know, I had so many parts, I would just do them until they were right. Puff, uh, Daddy said this. He said, "I'm not a good musician, but I'm a good orchestrator." Mm -hmm. So he's not great about putting his hands on the guitar, but he's no he's great about, well, that sounds nice. I could put that with that. And then he's in the sound booth helping. Right. Do you think you have a little bit of hands-on with both? Or are you more just in the studio recording? Or are you, like, 
helping say, oh, we should add like a, a triangle there and like a drum beat here and like stuff like that. So most of the time, most of the records I did were <clears throat> live records. Okay. So we'd go into the studio. If we made mistakes, we'd do it again live. We wouldn't fix the mistake as yeah. much. And so it was mostly 90% live. The last record, the one I just gave you... Which is amazing. Uh, I love the cover of it. I love the fact that fucking Jim McCutcheon is on it, which is my guitar teacher, my father's guitar teacher, and somebody you're close with. Again, everybody, if you don't believe in full circles, this is a 360. <laughs> See, you're the best guest because you can make a sound effect buttons. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so on that record, I did uh, a lot of production. Uh, Jeff Smith was the engineer and also co-produced. I think I actually put him as producer on the record. I don't remember, it, but... Um, why not? It says... It might mm, be inside. It, it might be inside. There's a bunch inside. of plastic on it. I don't know if I want to open it just yet because it looks amazing. Like, in the... It's hard to get... Like, I don't... I love getting new vinyl in the mail because I'm like, ooh, the plastic on it. It's uh, untouched by man. I know it has been, but to me, it's like, ooh, it's fresh. But then, like, if I ever want to... Now, what I'll probably do is I'll probably just cut this side because a lot of people do that where they can just, like... Well, does it open open? Yeah, it flips open. Damn, then I'll have to open the whole thing. Well, it don't matter. <laughs> For everybody at home, But that's you can you slit the other side. That's true. That's slide true, the record out. Kinda, I have some sleeve sports. Mm -hmm. I might have some extra. Um, where, where did you record this album at, for reference? Um, there's a couple jazz tracks on there with Ira Sullivan. Um, he played with Charlie Parker and Dizzy yeah. Gillespie and every, everybody in the jazz world. Uh, I've known him since I was a kid. He, the stuff we did with him was in, uh, Pompano, Florida. Wow. And then everything else was recorded at, uh, Jeff Smith's studio in Centerville. Ohio? Kettering. Centerville. Kettering. This was recorded in Ohio? Yeah. Wow. I thought, for some reason, I thought you were recording in Texas. Nope. Were you in Texas recently? I, nope. I played in Texas. Yeah, I know you played, but why Why was I thinking you were, maybe you were in Florida and that's why. Maybe Florida. Yeah, cause down south somewhere. Yeah. I just know somebody had said something like you were, maybe it was mom or dad. They were like, oh yeah, Michael's recording his album and mm -hmm. so and so. And I guess maybe I just took it as Texas, but it was probably fucking Florida. Um, that's crazy though that. You have, I mean, all these people. It just that's what that's what bugs me is that I don't know how many people like this, what we're doing right now, uh -huh. the comedy show, and I don't know how many people ever want to help with it. But this, just on the back of names of this album, like this is proof of people that believe in what you're doing mm -hmm. and think you're a good musician. And they're doing it. They're and they're doing it. doing it too because they also think you harmonize well with them and mm -hmm. you can create something beautiful together. And like, and there's a whole crowd of people that are into what you're doing. Yeah, I hope so. They, no, there is. Absolutely. There's a, whole, there's a whole infrastructure of people trying to do exactly the same thing that you can hook up with. Right. I've always um, said this. Dayton, Ohio, and Ohio in general, is the perfect place to train your comedy. Because if you can make people in Ohio laugh, you've got the Midwest on lockdown. You've got the... East Coast, West Coast, you got it all done because Ohio does not want to laugh. We have <laughs> human trafficking problems. We have open crises. A lot of Amish rape scenes. What I'm trying to say is there's issues here. Yeah. So, like, if you can make somebody laugh here, it just feels like you can make them laugh anywhere. So, like, did you ever feel like you had, a like, a training ground? Like, was it Ohio for you? Or No, 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 no. Um, it's well, it's weird because when you when you're playing and you haven't um, 
Because when I think blues, I think New Orleans. Like for some reason, I feel like you went down there and found it a master. Kind, it kind of floats around, right? Okay. So the the mech the the center is always where did the last famous person come from? So at oh, some that's point, a, that's a really interesting way to think about it. It was that. like Chicago for Muddy Waters and BB King out of blah 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 yeah. and Stevie Ray out of Texas and then Nirvana's Seattle and. And so it floats they all should around. Take a lot of yellow springs, right. and oh right. my god, that is a great thought. Yeah. I never really thought about it like that. Yeah. So, oh. you know, um, having not reached, um, even though I toured nationally and had records out, I wasn't on a label. I got a record right here. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so every time I played, the very uh, most stressful night part of the night was the very first song. The first song the of the set? The very first song of the first set. Okay. Because you're going to play... the very first sound you're making. Well, no, I can make sound, but I'm cool, but... <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I'm cool. Uh, but you don't know if the people that you're playing for are really there to like what you like. Because yeah. it's random. They didn't yeah. pay a ticket price to come see you. That's true. So you have to win them over, but you can't change. I'm not going to play Michael Jackson yeah, the second yeah. song. Yeah. So I know right away, if they don't pay any attention after the first song, okay, I'm in the wrong place. I got three and a half hours to kill. You know? Okay, that's a different one. But if they go crazy, still, got I got three and a half hours, but now the energy is going to be better. Yeah, that's true. I've definitely walked into stand-ups to where people wanted to laugh and people didn't want to laugh. And I've never understood going to a comedy club and not wanting to laugh. Like I could understand they, if you're at a bar. They want you to work for it. Yeah, exactly. I could understand if you're at a bar and you didn't even know there's a musician there and you're listening to it. Okay, you don't have to love him. You didn't even know he was gonna be there. Right. But at a comedy club, what did you think was gonna happen? Right. Right. Yeah. And especially the people that are like, oh, I can't ever sit front row. I would never want to be heckled. But then the people that do love it, and then they get jealous. Well, okay, why don't you? Try it. Like, I think that's what it's all about, is just trying it. That's the same thing in music and a lot of things. You just have to, like, feel it out. And I imagine you do that on stage a lot, where it's like, sure. all right, how do they take this? Oh, they like that. Oh, maybe not this. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's differences to everything. Um, what do you think one is... I, I want to ask this, because, again, this is the Disappointing Radio Show. We don't like to hear everyone's best moments. We like to hear their worst. What was your worst set? <sighs> Uh, some of the worst gigs I've ever played, I got called to play New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve. Oh, my God. And they didn't have a bass player. What? And I, and I don't play bass. Yeah. But I owned a bass. <laughs> so it was like 500 bucks. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm there. Okay. So, you know, I'm going... But it should have been... So somehow they put up with me. I hope somebody at home laughs at that, because that made me fucking laugh really hard. <laughs> Just the whole... I Again, this is why I wanted to have you on, because you said you're not funny. That's fucking hilarious. You have the ability to add guitar, like Adam Sandler has recently, into his comedy. You can be funny with an instrument, and that's hard to do. Yeah, it doesn't fit real well. But if you can do it, oh my God, does it fit like a glove? <laughs> but like... So you said bass player didn't go well. Didn't were they upset well. at you? They were stuck. They, I told them up front. I didn't lie to them. Okay. I said, I don't play bass. I can't do the game. But I have a bass. I have a bass. I will show up. I will dress up. I will be on time. 
I'll be professional. I'll do all the things you need. Except play. <laughs> play <laughs> what I you might play. want. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the guy didn't care. He was probably getting paid, you know, a thousand apiece. Yeah. So just filling the seat, he made 500 bucks. Yes. And he just had to hold his nose for a while. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, Guitar-wise, I remember playing a place in the Keys that had a reputation for being super quiet. Like the audience? The, the management wanted the band to be super quiet. No matter who they were, no matter what they played. That doesn't make sense to me, because a band is not supposed to be quiet. No. And I had a reputation... For being loud. For being really loud everywhere. I'm, again, and, when I heard you play at the Bridges, Bikes, and Blues things like years ago, I could tell it was you from a mile away. <laughs> and as I got close, I was like, this is Michael. Yeah. Why? Because you have that loud presence in your just playing style. And I think, especially in blues, that's not always the case. Like blues is very like deep and sometimes slow. Yeah, and it can be, it can be many things, but yeah, it's versatile. Um, so the, how I knew this was going to be the worst gig is I had my amp on standby okay. and I'm playing an electric strat and I was tuning it. And the bartender said, you're too loud. Tuning. I was tuning it. You're too and loud. I wasn't, I wasn't oh turned God. on. My amp wasn't on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, so you're like, I might as well not even turn this amp on. Yeah, I can't even, I can't even turn the amp on. <laughs> the switch would have been too it's loud. Too loud. Yeah. What? So why that was you Why do you want? Unless you're trying to go for that weird like ballroom backgroundy like. But no, but who wants that? Except yeah. in a ballroom. Yeah, I don't know who does. Them. That. They want it in the yeah. keys. They want it there. Yeah. So that was bad. That was pretty bad. Yeah, that sounds bad. I think um, one of the worst... I say worst. I had a lot of fun at it, and I've never not had a lot of fun at a comedy show. I'll tell you two different stories, because I don't know if I've really ever told either of these in person. Mm -hmm. So why not tell them today? It's time. So the first one, <clears throat> I took a comedy stand-up writing class at Wright State, and I'm getting up for a reason, because I'm going to show you something at the end of the story, because I am not bullshitting you. So <clears throat> I go... Take this class. There's a fat lesbian of a teacher. And that, again, we're not slut shaming. We're just labeling. Okay? She had the butchy haircut. She told us she was a lesbian. Like, mm -hmm. not hiding it. Okay? Right. And she didn't like me. And I could tell. You know how you can just kind of tell right off the bat somebody doesn't like you for the wrong reasons? Like, you've been nothing but nice. You know, you're just trying to be yourself. And for some reason, that they didn't like. Again, you don't want to be upset at them, but you're just trying to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in stand-up comedy, especially with musicians, I think it's a little less with musicians because a lot of the time when you hear somebody playing something, you can almost join in and create something new. When it comes to stand-up comedy, you have to shut the fuck up and listen right. and then either say, that was funny, and then swallow your pride and laugh and enjoy, or not and be like, that wasn't funny. And either it wasn't or you're just being a stick in the mud because mm -hmm. you want to be a stick in the mud. Right. So she was kind of the stick in the mud where I had some bits, I would always get the class to laugh, never her. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should say it like that. I think you should use less swears. I think you should uh -huh. do this. And I'm like, okay, well, okay. And comes our exam, we have to perform at the Dayton Funny Bone at the Green. Nice. Okay? Each do 20 minutes. I think maybe less, but I went over. Because, <laughs> again, I'll do an hour if yeah. you give it to me. Sure, sure. So I'm, up, I'm doing my set. I've got them. Like, I've got the fucking crowd. And you know that feeling where, like, 
you could do anything sure. and they're yours. Sure. That was that moment. So I'm having a great old time and everyone, and I watched them, everyone of my class before me did all the same sets that fucking like they had been practicing all year round. But again, the set I was practicing, she wouldn't laugh. And it got to me. It shouldn't have, but it really got to me. And I said, I'm just going to improv it. Why? Because a, the, the best I've ever been was on my feet. Mm -hmm. I like the moment of like, you have nothing prepared. Be funny now. Tell something out right, of the top of your head. Right. Make it funny. So like, I did that. I did a whole set like that. Fucking killed it. Everyone, when they got off stage, they got a paper with a grade. She's giving them hugs. Like, that was great. Oh my God. And some of the kids that didn't even get laughs, she was like, that was a good try. Like, all this stuff. I go off. I'm like, well, how, what'd you think? Like, I, I'm, I'm, this is as the most relatable I can be. I'm like, please, like, you're my teacher. What did you think? Like, I want your approval. She goes, go sit down. <laughs> so now I'm like, what the fuck? So she gives me my paper. It's this paper. I'm going to get it framed. I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> I was very disappointed that your set used material you did not educate yourself on enough in class. You did not develop the material and you used old material that you had already written, which I didn't. I just talked about my life. I said, um, my name is Brighton Jones. I'm white as the snow and I have black as the night older brothers. And while that sounds racist, that's just the home I lived in. And uh -huh. I'm going to tell you all about it. And I talked about my brothers, right, right. talked about how I went to a barber shop with them and I got kicked out because my hair wasn't nappy enough. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Sure. Okay. All really, again, I had not written any of this stuff. So I'm reading this and I'm like, what the fuck? At the end, she goes, I was going to give you a zero, an F. But because of what you did wasn't in the syllabus, you get an A. But from here on out, I'm changing the syllabus for the class forever. And, uh, I mean, what the fuck? How would you take that? I took it like I'm a badass and I changed the class forever. But I kind of got sad because I thought she really would like my set. But then I stopped giving a fuck when she did her set because she stole so much material. Oh my God, she stole so much material from South Park. She was like, I need a volunteer. And she invited someone to sit on the stage. She goes, hi, this is a sex food hotline, cream freeze. And I'm like, that's from South Park. I've seen that a million times from South Park. You fat bitch, you lied. The first thing she told us from the day one was never steal material. Okay, who have I been listening? She, I mean, I got some good textbooks for writing comedy from her. I got some good tips and some good stuff I wrote down, but like, how are you going to preach all year and then do that? You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So sure. like, I don't know. So that was like one, what I consider one of my worst gigs. Because I didn't get paid. I got ridiculed by my teacher, but the whole crowd loved me. And that was really the first time in a professional setting, besides my first paid show, that anybody had ever come up to me and said, I really liked your set. Nice. That was the first time that I ever gotten that. So that was kind of nice to get. Um, the second worst set I yeah. ever did was, well... Technically, there's a third, but I didn't. It wasn't really like a actual comedy set at an actual comedy show, so I don't know if I can count it. But I might tell it later. So, oh God, this one. So I'm fucking showing up in the Oregon district to all these different bars, and I'm like, yeah, open mics, yeah, open mics, yeah, open mics, because I'm just trying to be better. Right. But a lot of the Dayton comics don't like new faces because they're 45, still in Dayton. And they're scared. They're scared. Exactly. I wasn't going to say it, but you get it. They're scared. And again, I'm not trying to make them scared. I'm just trying to make the audience laugh. Because at the end of the day, I don't... If I could somehow not get paid for stand-up and just always have like a house and groceries, 
Okay, that'd be fine with me. Sure. Because I just want to make people laugh. Like Chris Farley said, I want to be famous enough to where I could walk in a children's hospital and that be their day made. Because mm -hmm. that would be a nice feeling to make those kids feel fucking happy for at least an hour. And I'm going to this bar and they're like, hey, we're going to do a different thing at this mic. And I'm like, okay. And a lot of the comics at this point don't like me. Like, because I, I just don't give a shit. I'll say what I want on. I, mean, I, I do not care. Like, I will say whatever I like on stage. And I think that was a little intimidating, especially as, like, somebody who's 21. So I come onto the scene. I shake it up a little bit. I, I sound like I'm a fucking big name. I really am not. But, like, I was just trying to show them that comedy can be something totally new, even though you think it's so finite. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, we got this big wheel, and you spin it, and you have to do your set based on a certain amount of rules. So, like, one of them was complete silence to where you do your set and the audience isn't allowed to laugh. That's hard. Yeah. Another one is bad audience, where the audience is like, as soon as you start, like, fuck you, boo! Like, that kind of audience. Um, there was In the Dark, where they turn all the lights off. That was something else. And they had a lot of different ones. So everybody kept spinning the wheel, and they put me, like, last on the set list, which I don't know if that was on purpose or, like, whatever. But I really didn't care, because I was still on the set list. Right. So I'm waiting to go. Everybody's spinning the thing. Every single of, like, the 40 different options have been hit except one of them. I fucking go up. I spin it. <sighs> lands on the one thing that nobody landed on, which was bad audience. <laughs> Dude, they hit me in the face with ice. They took my shirt off. This 500-pound black dude came up and put a $20 bill in my pants, which I was fine because I got a $20 tip. But at the same time, I was like, that might have been sexual harassment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, like it was it was one of the worst sets. I mean, they were like, I mean, they were shoving me. They took my shoes. Like, again, that's a bad audience. Yeah, that's. Bad. But at the same time, I think they were so excited. I got bad audience. They knew they were literally just playing into it. Like, you don't know it, but you're making this set amazing, and it's my set. Mm -hmm. The mic's in my hand. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. And like, I'm not trying to be like. I'm better than you, but the fact that I didn't fold and I took it well and I mm -hmm. made it funny should show some level of skill. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever have you ever been th like like I guess the base story is a good one, but have you ever been like thrown into it and had to like just survive on? Sure. Okay. Sure. You, like, can you give me a good like improv story? I guess. Yeah, I got a um, a couple years ago, five, six, seven, eight years ago, something. I got hired to play a solo jazz gig. Okay. And that's not my strength. Style. But that's... They didn't say it had to be jazz, but there's... A little bit was implied feeling of jazz. That's what they wanted. It was a dinner set kind of thing. Okay. And so I prepared. I had like 20, 30 songs I'd rehearsed for the last month. It was a good paying gig. I put time into doing it. And so I started, started the show with just how I normally would start a blues thing. <laughs> People come out of the kitchen, they're like dancing, everything's going great. And as soon as I finished, I couldn't remember anything I practiced. Oh no. Nothing. I've had that happen so many times. So I played for two hours. Improv. Just made every note up. Huh. Everything. Just started. <laughs> Have the skills to do that well uh to a dinner crowd probably 
If they okay. were a paying jazz they were audience. All, yeah, they were all musicians. Yeah. There might have been some friends. There might have been ice in the face and turning the lights out. You might have lost your shoes, too. Somebody would have stuck something else in my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, oh, my God. Okay, what was one of your best sets? We talked about all the worst. Well, best sets are always the sets And that... best set is not defined to me by, like, money or, like, whatever. No, Best no. set was you felt like it was... This is it. This is me. I'm commanding the stage. Every note is my fucking whim. Like, when did that happen? Those, they, they're rare. They are <laughs> extremely <laughs> rare. Like, to a comedian, that's the same level of, like, when you're performing, you can literally just, like, the sweat off the forehead it's is funny. funny. Yeah. The cough in the water is funny for no reason. Like, yeah. they just want to laugh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that. It's, it's like that, too. I mean, it's when you have the perfect combination of playing uh, band people audience because everybody contributes to make it the best yes and so it just time stops you're just playing you can't hit a wrong note everything's nope. perfect and it's only been a couple shows where um, one I remember we opened for the fabulous Thunderbirds in um, wow. um, West Palm Beach, Florida. Wow. And that was one of those shows where people that knew me came up and go, man, you just played way over your head. And I'm like, well, it's still me playing it. It's still <laughs> me. It's my hands. You know what I mean? And then uh, I remember a show in Matt Lachey, Florida, in a little tiny Burt's Bar and Grill. Say, that's where I met my wife, Kay. Really? Same. That show? Yeah. Same show. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Just could do no wrong. Just... I could sing better because everybody thought I could sing. I could play better. Everybody thought I was good. There is something about like when you start singing and people like it, it's like it gets better. It does get better. Because you have that confidence and like that ease of like yeah. don't relax. restrict. Yeah, yeah. The relaxing. Exactly. Can you tell me about when you met Kay? Like how, how was that? Like did you meet her before the show? After? You laugh. I hope it's something we can say. Um, yeah. So... Um, we played a show in Key West. Um, I can't remember who was in the band. I guess it was Luke Pyro was in the band, and um, AJ Kelly was in the band. Okay. And uh, so we played a show in Key West the night before, and so we drive up the state. We're in Matt Lachey, Florida, and we're setting up. <clears throat> and uh, we met these girls in Key West. Okay. And so they're like, you know, hey, we're going to come see you tomorrow in Matt Lachey. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, sure enough, we show up and they're there. And they're there. And so we all think we're getting lucky. Something's going to happen. <laughs> you know, why would anybody drive this far to hear? Why you know, else? Yeah. Uh, it's probably why guys think that way. But, um, <laughs> yeah, to them, they just yeah. want to hear. They just want to hear, to hear the music. So they're staying all night long. And in the meantime, I I had met Kay previously, and she was dating somebody down there, and I had a girlfriend, and so we were just friends. Mm -hmm. So she's there okay. with her friend, and I don't have a girlfriend anymore. At the time. Yeah, at this present time. And uh, <laughs> so these girls are there, so I'm telling her, I'm like, hey, man, these girls came all the way up from Key West, you know, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. She's like, okay. So we keep talking. So at the end of the night, the girls are still there. And I go over and I go, hey, we're having a party back at the uh, hotel. Everybody's coming over. Oh, no, we have to go. But you sounded great. So they really were there. Just they were really the there just to hear the music. So I went back to Kay and I said, yeah, they don't want to be my girlfriend tonight. And she goes, well, I'll be your girlfriend tonight. 
And, uh, like, and you're like, oh. Uh, uh okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, so, again, you didn't know if she was single or not, so that probably wasn't, like, the thought in the mind. Right. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, and we've basically been together since. Since then. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. That's kind of, Man, that reminds me of how I met Abby. Like, she was here visiting her dying grandma, and she was like, you know, we matched on Tinder, didn't know it was going to be what it was, she came over, and it was, it was weird. Like, not in a bad way, but it was weird, like, out-of-worldly weird. Like, as soon as she walked through the door, me and her could both tell, we were, for some reason, already on the same page. Like, and we were both weirded out by that, so, and we could see each other getting weirded out by how much, like... Like, she put her bag down. I was like, oh, fuck, I love that. And she goes, you know what that is? I'm like, yeah. And then she, oh, I fuck, I love that. And it's like, oh, I love that. And then, yeah. like, you want to watch this? She goes, oh, I fucking love that. And it's like, this is weird. This is weird. So, like, I don't know. Like, there's something about love that I think people try to encapsulate in paintings and music and comedy. But, mm -hmm. like, who gets it right other than the love itself in person? So we just try to do our best to, I guess, either represent it or... I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, I don't know. Illustrate it to the world? It's changed quite a lot from when I was your age and I thought I was in love to being in my age love. in love. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you think you're this and until really, you really get tested. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, fuck you, I can get out of here, you know, and you're yeah. gone. Yeah. As opposed to, I wouldn't leave no matter what. Yes. And there's and that's the difference is are you willing to stay through the bad? Are you willing to rough mm -hmm. out the bad shit for the good shit? And again, starving artist. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it went through Kay's mind at least once, like, fuck, am I gonna have to support this guitar? Uh, <laughs> probably, who knows? But I like did you ever it. ask? Me no. and Abby, I talk about it a lot because I don't I don't want it to be something that worries Abby. I, you know, I'm going to college, I'm gonna get the degree, I'm gonna have an office job, so like I, I promise I'll provide for you. So I never want her thinking, fuck, he really wants to be a comedian. I'm going to have to support his ass or we're going to be poor for a uh -huh. while. Because I, I just don't want her to think we'll suffer. But at the same time, Abby meets me with the same energy that I hope Kay does, which is, well, we're together. Why would we suffer? Right. And that's right. nice. And that's yeah, we, I don't. I don't think we've ever had a conversation. I don't think we've ever had a conversation ever where it was she would say, you have to go work or you have to get a job. And I never had to say to her, you have to do this, you have to do that. <clears throat> we just functioned. It was always do our best together. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Because a lot of people don't have that. I mean, I, I did have a point where I was really tight on money. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I can't pull my end right now. I don't feel good, so I'm going to make a plan. So I sold a 61 Strat. I sold my dad's saxophone. I sold coin collections. I bought another rental property. Yeah found a gig teaching, you know, so I knew that I had to do something because I wanted to do it. Yeah. She never said you had to do anything. You wanted to do it because you wanted to make sure she never had to ask. Right. And I think that's right. good. And I think that's the qualities. Again, I think you're a good husband. I think whenever I always saw you and Kay together, I always knew that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Just like a, a couple other of my parents' friends. It's sad I don't lose my own parents because they fought, <laughs> fought all the time in front of me and McKenna. But, like, there was always examples of, like, really good marriages. And when I found Abby, all I could think about was, like, you and Kay. All these, like, Karen and Hoover. Like, yeah. all these different relationships that have worked and, like, just are weird. But they are weird together. And sure. that's why they're weird. Because they are so together. Because I think it weirds people out how close some people can be. But at the end of the day, I think that's just a little bit of a jealousy thing. I'm like, oh, why am I not that close with somebody else? 
And I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, my neighbor would always he, he drinks quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> he would always like. Sometimes we'd walk by, and he goes, "Oh, get there goes the happy people." <laughs> <laughs> See, okay, that's funny you bring that up because that kind of happens to me and Abby too. To where like, um, I remember it was me and. Uh, I almost said his name. Well, I guess I'll just leave him nameless because it was years ago, so there's no harm in saying this, and this episode won't come out for a while. But it was me, Abby, and a friend of mine, and me and my friend were like, let's take mushrooms. This will be hilarious. So we did that, went to a park. Abby's our anchor. And the whole time, like, he's dealing with this world of color. I'm in a world of love because this is the first time I'm tripping around Abby, and I'm seeing all these great things about her. And I can't tell you how many times this friend said, like, God damn it, you two are meant for each other. Uh-huh. That's a weird thing to hear in a, God damn it, like he's upset about it almost. Right. Like, where does that come from? Um, it's like how you use bitch. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example of that. Or like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I've told this joke on the show oh, so many times, so I know every time she hears it, she's not going to care. Um, Abby is also one of the people that, no matter what I say, she's never really going to be too upset about any joke. Mm-hmm. Unless it's really revealing about something, she's like, I never say this. But like, one of the my favorite jokes is when I, I'll look over and she'll just be going like, "That means blowjob," because she's trying to pretend she's a Hoover vacuum. <laughs> so whenever she's like in public misbehaving, I'm like, "Will you settle the fuck down, you little Hoover vacuum?" Because <laughs> I don't want to say something actually like cum slut or something that's that someone's gonna hear me like, "Whoa, they're having a weird day." <laughs> But, like, I don't know. I just, I love being close with Abby. But then I do feel bad that, like, it makes some people jealous or makes some... But then, but then at the end of the day, I literally just have to stuff all of it down and be like, I'm happy. Why is that not enough? That is enough. It is enough. And, and it's enough for me, but it's not enough to, like, convey to the world, why can't you just be happy that we're happy and we've got each other in our little... Like, I, I went to a wedding recently. I cannot tell you how many people went up to Abby and it's like, you're sure, right? Because I told him, I was like, you know, I moved her from Florida to Ohio. And they were like, for him? I don't know. I, I get it. I'm Jonesy's kid. There's a legacy of what the fuck that was. And then now me being my own, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. I totally understand, like, why people would say that. But when, like, a hundred people say it in one day, you're like, even <laughs> I'm going to ask, like, you're sure, right? Like, you heard a lot of reasons today why this shouldn't be a thing. And I guess, were you ever worried about that with Kay? ever like a weird legacy of stuff like were you ever like worried about her maybe like finding out some past stuff and letting no. that judge you because i mean i've heard some crazy shit abby's gone through in her life but as i'm hearing it it's never once made me think i don't want to be with her it makes me think holy shit she's done all this stuff like a pinball effect and she landed right here uh-huh. in front of me today That's i it. should be thankful as shit and That's i am it. yeah but like i don't know i guess some people just don't understand being close close and, it's, being and it takes time, too. It does you know? take time. Sometimes uh, the thing that people are most afraid of is what other people think of them. Yeah. And and that means that they don't really have an awareness about themselves. Of, of themselves. Because if you're already basing your image off others, right? where does the individuality come from? Right. Do you think your music has gotten better with your individuality ever since you made the switch from like performer to artist? Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. 
What do you? I've, I've got a good friend, not a good friend, but a guy who plays killer guitar ever since I was a kid. He we're was, gonna call you a good friend because we're nice on this show. Yeah. <laughs> In case he's listening, which he probably won't. <laughs> he, he's really more of an acquaintance, um, <laughs> but he's a monster guitar player. Okay. Um, See, that's that's the compliment. It doesn't even matter how yeah, close friends are. Yeah, You're he, a monster guitar player. Yeah, he would hate. He wouldn't care. So, <laughs> um, so I went to San Francisco. He went to. L.A., both separately, not knowing about each other. Okay. And then later, you know, five, six, seven years, uh, we meet in Florida, and we're talking about our experiences, and he's going, man, it was so hard there. I go, really? And he goes, yeah, wasn't it hard? I go, no. No. I go, it was easy. And he goes, really? I go, yeah. He goes, man, there's so many people play like Van Halen, and it's just unbelievable, Bob. Everybody was so good. I go, yeah, the great guitar players out there. I go, but there's only one me. Yeah. And once I start trying to be me, nobody can be better. Yes. Oh my God, yes. And I totally understand what you mean by that because I watch, I look like it too. I watch a lot of anime and I look like I watch a lot of anime because I'm fucking greasy with long hair now (laughs) with a very strange mustache. But something that anime has taught me was I watch this fighting anime, which is like mixed martial arts, kung fu, and it's Mm -hmm. called Baki. And they introduce Muhammad Ali as a character. And they introduce a fictional character called Muhammad Ali Jr., his son, which the whole show secretly is about how Muhammad Ali, not the whole show, but half of it, is about how Muhammad Ali, he wasn't just a boxer. He was actually secretly part of this underground fighting community Uh that he was training his own specific style of boxing martial arts, and then his son perfected it, and the whole secret of the style is, oh, while it looks like you're just using your arms and not your legs, you're really kicking the ground constantly. Uh For momentum and like that's what fucked me up because then it hit me like that's a his style that he could only master mm-hmm. and i think that happens in music a lot like yes sure. you play the blues but there's only one michael Locke blues right you know what that's i mean that's right that's right i mean usually i'll tell my students you know if you listen to john coltrane he'll play a million notes in a bar you listen to bb king he plays one note in a bar and they're both instantly recognizable. Both are great, yeah. They're both masters of being themselves. Uh-huh. Because they, they did a lot of stuff. They did the, the everybody else stuff for training, for technique, for yeah, all that. They had but to then they, they solidify it. They right. boil it down into, what do I want to do? And right. I think McCutcheon's a good example of that, too. We've talked about him a lot today, mm-hmm. and I hope he at some point listens to this. <laughs> but, like, his whole philosophy of have long nails on one hand and not the other because it's good for guitar playing but bad for sex life. That's funny. (laughs) That's funny to me. And I had never heard a teacher say something like that. Uh So, like, to have that out the door, like, that, like, the other reason I like McCutcheon is because one time he was like, here's the deal. I don't really believe in paperwork. So you can either write one paper for the class or you can just attend one concert that involves guitar and I'll count that as 100%. And sure enough, that same week, he was like, also, slides paper on desk. I've got a concert this week that I'm performing in. So I was like, sure, why not go see McCutcheon? Right, sure. He's good in class. Why would he not be good on an actual stage? And that was the first time, I think, really, because I I mean, I'd seen Hank Williams Jr. in concert with Nelson. So I've seen, like, a really decent amount of, like, guitar players. Now, Hank Williams Jr. now is not a guitar player Mm -hmm. because I saw him recently and he was very drunk, he broke a guitar, he missed a lot of notes, and he kept changing the words, and I did not have a great time. But <laughs> I got my picture with him, and I can say I met a legend. So, either or. Um, but that was the first time I seen, like, you know, there was an orchestra, there was that kind of stuff, but it was just one guy, one person on a stage, one guitar, 
and he moved me incredibly because, and I don't know if it was the story or whatever, but like, I mean, he, before he even started playing the song, he's like, you know, this is a Spanish piece. It's about this. And he gave like a mini bio about it, about how it was like about a love affair and all this different kind of stuff. And then there were no lyrics, maybe like one Spanish lyric every once in a while, but nothing really. And then right before the song ends, like my cousin starts crying and he's really finishing it. And I'm just, that was when I was like, oh my God, this is moving. This is a man who is not here for the paycheck. This is a man who is here for 20 minutes of a good acoustic room and trying to fill your ears with something that's pretty damn good. And I think that's where the takeaway comes from. Again, I think you had that with like, yes, I got to make money, but now I don't have to. I should want that attitude. Like I should try to make money, but like I, I never wanted to ever make money out of comedy. You have to to survive. But yeah, there, people have a misconception sometimes. I think that money's bad. Money is bad. It's terrible. No, it's not bad. Money is just an ex, is is just an energy form, right? So, the the. The, the thing that you have to have it, it's the most important thing, yeah. that's bad. Yes. Money itself isn't bad. Okay, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. What money represents right now is bad. If you, if, uh, you know, if you could have Bill Gates' money, you could donate 90% of it. Yeah. So it was worthwhile, right? It helped all these people. Yeah. And you, that was important and it was good. Yeah. But what it represents, the, the greed of like, gotta have more and that's all I need, that's bad. Yeah, 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 and and we have happen to live in a in a place where you have to have some way to support yourself. Yes, you know, um, some people would say to never have a B plan. Don't never. give yourself a way out. Yeah, I feel that too. That like, happens a lot. I've always looked at it like this: college is the safety net, mm-hmm. and. I'm starting on the floor. So I'm just building the safety nets first while I'm also trying to build this ladder of comedy. Sure. And at the same time, one day I would like to remove the safety net because I think that would make the comedy or funnier. But until I can remove the safety net, it just has to be there. Sure. No. You got to live. You got to live. You got to you gotta eat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I'd hate for Abby to support me on a fucking teacher's salary because right. teachers don't make dick. Right. Right. <laughs> and right. like, I don't know. I just... I guess a big piece of me does worry that, like, while I want to make the world laugh and make the world a very happy place, and just knowing that maybe some kid somewhere knowing my name makes him happier is all that it matters for. And yes, that's a famous thing, but at the end of the day, it's just because I told a joke he might like. Or maybe I made a bit about divorce and his parents got divorced and that helped him come to terms with stuff. Sure. But, like, while I'm trying to make the whole world laugh, I don't want to accidentally upset the small circle of people around me because mm-hmm. those are the the blind spots you're trying to make the world laugh you haven't made the wife laugh or right. you're trying to make all of south africa laugh but now your best friends don't see you right so like where does the give and take come from and you hope the people around you are understanding enough to know what you're doing why you're doing it and everything else in between did you ever feel like you had any issues with that like oh sure yeah, yeah okay yeah 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 so your <clears throat> The people that love and support you, if that's a genuine feeling, mm-hmm. they will always love and support you. No matter what. And that's what you hope. That Well, you don't have any choice. You're not yeah. in charge of their life. That's true. That's true. You can't make them do anything. Oh, I'm going to be a lawyer now. Oh, okay, I love you more. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You have to live your life and the people who care about you will be there. That's true. And so 
you will be a better person doing what you love, whether you fail or, or succeed, yeah. than pretending to be something else. That's true. And maybe next year you'll want to be a construction worker. Who knows? You know, it could be it's it could your change. life. Yeah, it's true. It could change for me. I hope it doesn't, because <laughs> yeah. I've got the word comedian written on my arm. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I just I don't know. Like, I've just seen so much stuff in the world as my age. Like, and I hope you understand why I'm that. But like, cause my father is of who he is. He's met a lot of interesting characters, sure. and because he's met those interesting characters. I have been the first front row seat always to see him interact with these characters or like try to introduce me to these characters of like Blackberry Smoke being bigger name musician. And again, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a big musician to me. You fucking dropped an album off and I was like, whoa, gifts. This is my first gift from a guest. I should also point that out. You're the first uh, ever guest to bring me any kind of present, except Hoover did bring me a bottle of Patron. So uh, I don't know if that, that counts. counts. That Does counts. it count? Because sure, sure. I'm not big into alcohol. <laughs> Where is it? I'm ready. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I guess this is very insightful. Because I knew as you have gone through the starving artist and now not starving artist and now it's just artist, I, I just wanted to get a feeling of like, should I worry that my craft is going to hurt the lives of people around me? Because I'm not going to lie. Dad has told me this multiple times. He's like, I don't want you to use your real name on stage. I said, what? So I don't want you to use your real name because I don't want people to find us and <laughs> like relate mom to you if she tries to be a judge. And I'm like, well, with all due respect, like of all the decisions I fucked up in my life, I thought the only one that wasn't messed up was my name because that's what you guys picked. Right, right, right. <laughs> I didn't get a say. You know what I mean? It was the only thing I didn't get a say in was when I was born and what my name is. Everything else was kind of my choice and I've been fucking it up ever since. But yeah. I'm still enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't speak to, since I don't know the politics of becoming a judge. Yeah, I can't speak to, you know, is somebody going to care enough that that's important that she get or not get yeah. a job? I don't know that answer. Um, but um, if you were trying to keep her from being a judge and you wanted to go out and do it, that would be pretty funny. But, <laughs> but. Um, you really need to be true to yourself. And I'm trying and, to be. And that's going to be different. And this is what you're saying. This you is the, the more true to myself version. Because, like, I never wanted short hair. Ever. In my fucking life. But mom and dad were always like, Zzzz. Right. Always wanted tattoos. Never had a chance. You know what I mean? Always wanted to grow my facial hair out. Yes, it looks like a nutsack under my chin, America. I'm well aware. But it's still good comedy. And, again, I want to be a stand-up. That's what I really want right. to do. And, like... I know it's scary, and this won't come out for a long time, so I don't give a shit if mom and dad hear it now. I always told him I would never drop out. But you better damn believe if Dave Chappelle showed up and said, <laughs> I will take you on tour, let me show you the ropes, I am fucking dropping out tomorrow. Sure. Because I think of sure. all people, you at least understand, that's the chance. Right. It only takes one person in the industry to get you in. Because once you're in, you're in. And then you can prosper. Sure, sure. So, like, Absolutely. I don't know. Is that such a terrible thing to say? Like, I would no. drop out? Why? No, of course not. Okay. Hiram Bullock, I don't know if you know him. He's a guitar player. He's not alive anymore, but he went to the university. He was. He was. <laughs> he went to the University of Miami in South Florida. And I might not be relaying this perfectly, but you'll get the point. He was there uh, before I was there. Mm -hmm. He was there for either a semester or a half a year or whatever and he went to New York to visit a friend 
And he got hired to play on David Letterman. Are you fucking kidding me? And that was it. He never went back to school. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? David he, got, Letterman. he got booked for David Letterman? Yeah, as, as the house guitar player. Holy shit. So Will Lee was the bass player. He was from University of Miami, so that's probably how he got the end. Oh, my God. Um, but he just, you know, had the... You know, he just had a great groove. And, yeah. And they hired him, and he never went back to school. So many people... How many, how many billionaires never went to school? Exactly. Zach Galifianakis, one of my favorite comedians, uh, the fat dude from The Hangover, if you need a, a, yeah, a little yeah, help reference, um, he fucking said in Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, he's like, I went, I don't have a college degree. He goes, but didn't you go? He goes, I need one more class. Literally one. He said, I got the whole thing done except one class. He said, if you get this one class done, you get the degree. And his parents said, ah, you've done enough. And he went to L.A. And then he just killed it in L.A. And, like, is it terrible to say that I think, honest to God, like, I I, th I think I'm staying away from L.A. or New York because I think if I go, they're going to love me. And I'm a little worried about that because if they really love me, they might pay me to stay. And that might fuck up everything else too early. But then again, is that such a wrong thing to adapt and just say, the, I will say this. I was always worried also about my spouse traveling, being relocated. Did you ever worry about that with Kay? No, I'm the one who relocated. <laughs> she never moved. She never moved. I had, you know, I had my parents' place I was staying at. Um, she could have, she could have brought the kids down and moved right in and not had a mortgage. And but, yeah. but her kids were in school. She had a good job up here. So I said, well, I can tour from anywhere. Okay. So I came up here. Okay. I, I didn't know it was a, a black hole. <laughs> it is. Ohio is such a little quicksand pool of like, you're here, you will live here. And it's like, oh God, no, please no. Please no. Yeah, but no, you can, you know, life is so flexible and so changeable it is. It is. that you might need to finish college to find out you don't want to be a comedian. Or you might want to go be a comedian to find out you need to finish college. Yes. Or you might move to New York to find out you should have moved to L.A. to move back to New York to find out you should be a construction worker. Yeah. You know, You're going to find out when you find out. You, and yeah, that's true, too. You just you just stay open to whatever happens. When people ask me about um, trying to make it in the business, I'm like, well, you're talking to the wrong person, I think. But... Because you there's, made it in happiness. There's no... There's, and you've done well in the business. Oh, I've done real well. You've done extremely done, well. I mean, I could, I could spend my life in a way that would people would be very envious. Yes. But, but you it, don't. It didn't feel that way when yeah. I was doing it. So, um... Because it was just what know. you were doing. Yeah. You just don't know what to do until it happens. That's true. You know, you can plan uh, forever, but it may never happen that way. Yeah. You can doomsday prep all you want, but if the bombs never hit, what the fuck right. do you do it for? And you're living in a hole in your backyard. I'm in there now. With a cantaloupe or something. Yeah. <laughs> One cantaloupe. <laughs> well, listen, let me, I just looked at the time station. We went way over on the first bit, but that's fine because I had a very good time talking to you. We'll start the second bit in just a sec, and then when we come back, I'm going to have you play a little bit if you're okay. I'm going to ask you some more about the album. Uh, for everyone listening at home, this was a very long first bit, but I think it helped teach you at least a little bit about comedy and music, and hopefully Kay. We'll be Bye. back on the second bit. Enjoy your first, or I guess, second culture shock, and we'll be back in just a second. Bye. Do you want to play me a little like, out sound so I can use that? <laughs>
Your next song. Uh, yes, it is a stereotype that it may or may not be his most played song, but I do not care because I don't give a shit because it's a good song. So I'm playing Cost of Lovin', Michael. Obviously, this is for you because it's by you. Thanks for making it. <laughs> but it's, thanks for coming on the show. Um, it means a lot to me. I'd like to have you on some point and have a guitar battle with another person I know in mind but if they would come on. Um, I don't know what to say other than thank you. It means a lot. We talked about it a lot. It made me feel comfortable in my decisions that I wanted to be a comedian. Um, it helped me realize that I don't really need to give a shit about what a lot of people say, including sometimes my parents. And while I love them, maybe it's not always their decision. Maybe it's mine. So, Michael, this one's for you. Bye, you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> we'll be after this.
mortgage my true love in Just to pay your kind of rent You charge me by the hour, baby Till you use up my lesson Your cost of love is high And it's so hard to make ends meet Michael, obviously you know him. He's my guest, but these jokes are getting stale. But I don't know what else to say other than the music's fucking fantastic. Ha ha! A compliment I snuck in. Uh, the next one is the actual song that is represented by the album. Michael, you've named these appropriately because they are fucking smash hits. You done did it off. You done did it by Michael Locke is next. I hope you enjoy. I think it's fucking great. And if you don't like it, well, suck a dick.
Let's get back to the show before one of you at home catch one of these crazy right hooks, you crazy mother-shuck. We're back! Oh my Just God. like that. We'll take it again. We got beers. He got a guitar. Fast. It should be fast. I like to throw it right back into it. The best one I ever did was... Um, have you ever met Teresa Glander? Maybe. Maybe. Tyler Glander's mother. Big, bigger woman. Very nice. Not bigger. Teresa, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but she did the, the, the best one when I was like, hey, we're back. She goes, oh, are we starting again? I was like, yeah. She goes, okay, let's go. All and right. it's just fun to throw people right back into it. I'm ready. Um, all right, so I said, uh, everybody at home, I'm going to try to deliver. Would you like to play me a little piece of something? Do you have, like, something on the brain you like to play? Or, like, <clears throat> I love hearing you play guitar. And I'll be silent as fuck, but, like, I'm not bad at improv jazz lyrics. <laughs> All right, uh, I don't have anything prepared, but just jump in. That's how it should be. Why don't you come and get another plan? 
Amazing. Yes, sir. Did you like the lyrics? I love the lyrics. I try to be a very good at improv, but like cornrows in my feet. I thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> it was great. Um, what do you think has been your favorite example of like a mashup you've done in real life? Like that you didn't know you were going to do. A mashup. Yeah, so like you were on guitar. You're using new words now. I know. Uh, potentially uh, you on guitar, someone singing. Or maybe you singing and someone on guitar. That you didn't think was going to happen, but it's happening and you're like, this is great. You know what I mean? It could be you on the street somewhere. Maybe an old black dude was like, Wah! you know what I mean? Well, I, I think of the word differently. Like I thought, I'm thinking like combining two things that you wouldn't think would go together. Same thing? Yes. So kind of like techno and reggae. So <laughs> the record that I gave you, the whole record is that. Really? The whole record. I cannot wait to spin it as soon as you leave. Like I'm, as soon as you leave, I'm literally going to bust it open and just sit here and listen to be like, this is it. It was, it was inspired by Kill Bill, the movie. Really? <clears throat> I love Kill Bill. Because. Can I, I say like, which volume? Like one, two, or three? Or is uh, it like kind of the. There's only two. Is there not a third? No. They're talking about making a third. Maybe that's one thing. Um, it was based on on both, really. But okay. It's, but it's not the premise of the movie as much as what he did. So, mm -hmm. uh, Andy, you know Andy. Yep. Um, I took him to see the movie, and I'm laughing in the movie, and he's like, "What the hell are you laughing at?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you wouldn't get any of these jokes." Yeah. I go, "There's a blonde girl dressed like Bruce Lee." She's getting ready to have this fight scene. They're playing the theme from Ironside. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and he doesn't know Bruce Lee. He doesn't know Ironside. He doesn't know... Why this is and, really fucking funny. Yeah. And to me, the movie was hysterical. Yes. And and it was a great movie. It was shot really well. Yes. But, um, so I thought back and I thought, wow, you know, The Green Hornet was this great show. I fucking love The Green Hornet. I loved all the music in the background. Yes. But what if they added Stevie Ray Vaughan as a soloist? Ooh, that is so, a little different vibe. Yeah, so I, I took like a year trying to learn how to arrange horns again because I, had, I hadn't been like 20 years since I did it. So yeah. it took me a year to write this tune, but I basically kind of sort of ripped off their theme and how they wrote for that, for that show and then put guitar solos in wow. that wouldn't be there normally. And... Huh. So that was like a thing. And then like I did the same kind of thing with like, um, I don't know, I heard some. Um, it was like some upright bass line. Yeah, something like that. Kind of thing. And it was like on uh, some movie that I saw, a Quint not a Quentin Tarantino movie, but anyway, some movie thing. Shout out and to I good thought, directors. <laughs> oh, if I do that, I can combine this. And then all of a sudden it's this. It's this. Okay. And so this is the first time I've tried to do anything like that. So it took And you five, think it went well. I haven't heard anything great. from this new album. I so, had listened to your old stuff, especially before this. And I was like, I, I knew that you had a new one. I didn't know you were bringing me the new one. So I'm excited as fuck. But I'm excited as shit to listen to it. Um, keeping on the movies and music, do you have a good example of a movie that has phenomenal music? And I, and I have an example ready for you. Well, Quentin Tarantino puts all his favorite kind of things in there. Yeah. He does a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there's different different reasons for different things, right? Yeah. So, like, some movie like um, Bull Durham. Okay. 
they play Stevie Ray Vaughan, Fabulous Thunderbirds, yeah. Los Lobos, all through the thing. The music kind of, when you have like a high-tech movie that's playing like a organic music. Yes. It's not high-tech anymore. It's like, oh, how cool is that? Yes. Something something reaches and grabs people. Yes, and it's like when you hear like Johnny Cash's Hurt in like a very like techno world, it's like that's two different things. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of music and movies, and I'm sure everybody can agree with this, is have you ever seen The Watchmen? I think so. Okay, there's a scene literally to where like, I mean, it's literally like Jimi Hendrix along the watchtower where they're walking in the ice to the, and it's like it's literally like they made the movie just to make music videos for these artists who had died right. who never had a chance to make all these music videos for these phenomenal songs. Right. So, like, I, that's one of my favorite examples of, like, music and movies. Um, and there's, I mean, there's countless examples, but, like, sometimes it feels like music can almost save a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, man, this scene's what it is, but god damn this song. And, like, oh, like, I, I've always, I've always appreciated good film, good video, but, music and sound just take the cake 100% for me. Like, it's, like, I guess my example is if you have a slow-mo cut of somebody walking in a movie, you could put infinite songs there. But the song, exactly. But whatever song you decide upon, that's what finitely decides the feeling. Like, you could put, you know, a Jimi Hendrix song, a Van Halen, a this, that, this, that. But then, okay, what if you put, like, a slow Rasta and it's like a different beat, and it's okay. That's different. You know what I mean? Right. And I think music's one of those elements that we should explore everything of. And I'm glad you decided to get creative on this album because I think a lot of more people should do that. They should incorporate mm-hmm. new things into music and different things that they may not have heard. And like I like it when um, Sturgill Simpson, he adds a lot of horn uh, percussion. Mm-hmm. I think that's fucking great. He has a three trumpet band that follows him on stage now. That's awesome. He's a country musician. Uh-huh. When was the last time you heard anybody do that? Right. Yeah. Never. That's the way to go. And like, not a lot of people use this. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this before I even give give any listens to this album. Is there any steel guitar? Yes. Okay. Well, pedal steel. Oh, that's fine. No, that's better. Would you argue that steel guitar is not dying out, but it's like one of those almost like hidden scrolls of kung fu for like. You can go out, you can learn it, and you can become a master, but you don't see many who know the style of steel. Yeah, I mean, I'm not real familiar with um, a lot of country artists, so I don't know how prevalent, I'm sure it's, it's very prevalent. It's, it's not? N- no. St- and again, Sturgill Simpson is the only person in today's time that I really hear use the pedal. Now, Whitey Morgan uses it a little bit, so I can't say he's the only one, but like, it's, it, it's dying, mm-hmm. and that's why I say that. Especially everybody that goes through the big Nashville machine factory of... Right. Luke Bryan, Florida Georgia Line, Jason Aldean, all these fucking shit musicians that I don't like. Right. I know people enjoy them. They fill concerts, so obviously they're entertaining. Mm-hmm. But like when it comes to just soul and the actual right. music, it's right. dog shit. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely dog shit. <laughs> I will never not think it's dog shit because it is, and I don't enjoy it. And like, yes, you can get it's a beat and you can bump your foot foot to it. But at the end of the day, like, it just it doesn't have any heart. And mm-hmm. you can hear you can hear when songs have heart. And sure, they don't. Sure. And everything that's coming from this big natural machine, it sounds like dog shit. And that's why I love underground stuff and you and everybody that's a little more off the grid because they're more focused on the sound. How mm-hmm. does it work? And steel guitar is one of my favorite instruments. And it makes me sad that it's not being used enough, especially in country music where it should be used more. So like to know that you used it, 
That's nice. So I'm not going to tell you where it is. You'll have to find it. I'm going to listen to the whole record. So yeah. I will hear it at some point. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's only on uh, one song. So. Okay. So. Very scarcely used, but that makes yeah. it its presence more weighted. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. or at least you hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so a lot of the record, you know, I had like one idea, and it's just like what we were talking about before. And mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to do this, and then all of a sudden it starts changing and morphing. And I'm like, oh, this is what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. So a prime example is uh, Ira Sullivan playing on the record. And I did a song uh, that I wrote called Cabana Days. And I wanted him to play... Um, the al- last song on side two. Yeah, I wanted him to play um, alto sax or tenor sax. Tenor sax, I think. Is saxophone in there? <laughs> there is a lot of sax on the That's record. That's awesome. But uh, I wanted him to play on that song. So we get there... And we start playing, and I realize he doesn't—he's not holding a sax. He's got a muted trumpet, and he played it. And I thought that's the most beautiful thing for this song. Yeah. And I like didn't even bring it up because he knew also he knew. this is what this yeah. needs. It sounded like Miles Davis. It sounded like Ira Sullivan, really. But that's awesome. Um, it was really cool. So things. What I wanted to do with this record even more was I wanted to include like um, other other musicians locally and I wanted them now, to help produce. Now locally being Florida or Ohio because you said that this was well, so, in two different places. Yeah, in Florida I kind of had to do everything because it was um, the time was short yeah. and my ability to get those musicians was short. Shorter. Yeah. Um, but here I wanted to take people uh, I'm not going to mention names but I wanted people that I liked yeah. um, I wanted them to contribute what they would contribute, so I get out of the way of the music and just let it happen. Let it happen, yes. And so that was kind of that idea of, okay, this is how I would do it, but how would you do it? And And just hearing them convey it might teach you some things. Right, and it could change and shape the music. And so, unfortunately, nobody would do it. Really? So there was very, very few people um, that contributed. Um, Jeff Smith was a big contributor. Right. Um, uh, So... You know, songs would develop. I would start off with one thing, and then it would be like, oh, no, it's not working. Let's change it. And, yeah. Which know. is fine. I don't think there's any harm in, like, changing direction of a song. Because once you're going to get to the finish end at some point. Right. And, again, the journey is better than the destination and all that in between. But, like, okay, let me ask you this. <clears throat> a, what instruments can you play? I can barely play guitar. You play guitar well. Stop. That's basically it. I so mean, just guitar. I can play, you know, some chords on piano. I can play some bass lines on bass. Okay. Uh, I can squeak out a couple notes on saxophone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really it. You can fake your way through a little bit. So now that I know that you are basically just a master of guitar and then mildly proficient in some other stuff, what? Oh my God. We always like to burp on this show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what um, what is one instrument you would like to learn that you don't know how to play? Well, would it be piano? No, no, no. It'd be either sax or trumpet. Saxophone's a good answer. My roommate plays the saxophone really well. Uh-huh. Um, he was first chair for like years at his high school, and then he was gonna do first chair at Wright State, but then he was like, I'm good. Uh-huh. Um, I would say piano but I have a keyboard here and like I'm just not good with it so mm-hmm. like technically I can play the keyboard but not well right. so I would probably say piano um can you read sheet music uh-huh I cannot yeah has that helped you not a bit 
No. Well, wait a minute. Let me rephrase it. Okay. It's, it's we took some shots. Yeah. We're going to take them back. <laughs> it's helped on occasion. Mm -hmm. So I went to, just to get into University of Miami, you have to be able to read music. You have yeah. to be able to do that. I know that. You have to be able to do certain things just to get into the school. So, I so you got that, through that. Yeah, I had to read. I started reading when I was like seven. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got there, I could do it pretty well. So, but yes, that helped you get in the door. But in the actual industry, making the songs, has performing on stage, has it ever helped you? Um, very little. Very little. So like anything that I've done in a blues world, uh, almost blues. Anything. Blues is almost asking you to not read music, right? But I but I did a gig uh, where I backed up um, uh, Sam Moore, Sam and Dave. And they had charts. Oh. Because cause he doesn't travel with the band. Okay. So they show up. So most of the 50s guys that I first played with, like Little Anthony type things, mm -hmm. and Sam Moore and all those guys, they would travel with a musical director or a friend mm -hmm. and charts. Okay. And so they meet a whole bunch of strangers. They hand them all parts and say, this is how it goes. Go. Yeah, because that's so, good for that. Because that's good if you've not been together. But like, Right. But <sighs> that, that's the only time. Okay. Everything else has been just live on the spot. Even recording sessions. Yeah. A lot of times, if you're going to do a recording session, they don't hand you a chart. They say, "Here's the song. Listen to it and figure your part out." Yeah, and then however many times it takes is however many times yeah. it takes. Because I just I, I can't read music. I did choir for years. I cannot read music mm -hmm. because they just never took the time to teach it. But also, I never viewed it as something that would actually help me a lot. Mm -hmm. It might get me in the door some places, like you said, at a certain university or whatever. But like. I would rather just actually learn how to sing better, mm -hmm. or I would actually perfect my comedy craft and just learn how to better timing, better punchlines, mm -hmm. you know, funnier left turns of like, haha, there's a finger in my ass. Like, what was that? <laughs> right. um, but like, I don't know. I just, I guess a piece of me, I guess I'm envious of the people who can read music, but then I don't know why. But then again, it kind of feels just like a, oh, that's neat. They can speak Spanish and I can't. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to, but it's also a lot of work. And then, really, how much will I use it? Right. Don't do casa de Pepe. So, um, reading music, by the way, um, I'm not uh, putting it down. Yeah, we're reading, not. We're not trying to belittle reading it. Reading music means. is. Some people make their living doing that. Exactly. Like if yeah. you if you're uh, orchestrating an orchestra, I'm pretty sure you have to read music. And like yeah. if you're. I mean, like, there's just different scenes of music. Sure. There's the preppy, poshy, straighten your tie kind of music, mm -hmm. and then there's us, the kind of like. We don't have a tie. What is a tie? Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you think you'll ever like? Because I don't think you have any tattoos, right? I don't, but okay. I always wanted one. I was asked, do you think you'll ever get a tattoo? And if so, do you think it would ever be music related? Because the reason I ask is because I have a friend who's going to come on the show at some point. His name is E. I met him in my McCutcheon guitar class. Uh -huh. He has the E chord tattooed right here in his arm. He plays a cover band where he tours and is a cover band. And like, uh -huh. that's a good example of that. Uh -huh. Do you think you'd ever to a degree, like, do you have a favorite chord maybe on guitar? Or like, no, I mean, if, if I were, that's the thing is I think tattoos are really cool. Yeah. But I haven't been able to find one that is me. Perfect enough that, for you to justify to this should this be on my skin. For the rest of my life. Yes. Some people think the opposite. Some people are, this is a moment in time. This is how I feel. Put it on. And, you know, 20 years later, they're completely covered. 
and that's what they want. They're mm-hmm. cool, and I'm cool with that. I don't care. But for me, we love tattoo freaks at yeah. this show. We love them. Yeah, I don't care. I think that, that whatever they want is fine. I really like the um, the the Japanese art. I think that's really. Oh cool. my god, where they even especially do it with with the hammer. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't. You wouldn't get doing that. Wouldn't but, get it. But it's a beautiful art style. Yeah. Um, but if I got anything, it would either be something related to, uh, as kind of contradictory as this is, it would have something to do with being enlightened, like a path or something like that. Some kind of like mountaintop. Wokeness of, yeah. I've seen the divine. Something like back. that. Yeah. Or a yin and yang symbol. Mm-hmm. Or I have a guitar at home that my wife gave me, and it's made by Kay. So the headstock is a guitar headstock, but it says K across the top. So, really, you don't really like to put people's names on, you know. Well, my dad got an M on his finger, so I feel like that could be justified. Right. Does Kay have any tattoos? She does. Does she? She has one, yeah. What is it? Um, It's a tramp stamp and we're not supposed to talk about it. No, no, no. (laughs) I think it's it's like a double rose or something like that on her arm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't see it when she was at the grab party for McKenna, but maybe I wasn't looking. Yeah. Um, And it's really faded. That's well, that's really interesting that you would maybe get K and the well. Would you get the guitar head of it? Yeah. Okay. Now that's even cooler to me. Yeah. That see, that's a good idea for a tattoo. Yeah. I'm gonna sway you. I'm gonna, push you <laughs> I'm gonna peer pressure you into getting a tattoo. Um, if you ever do decide to get ink, and I will say this on the show just so everybody knows, you should definitely go to East Dayton Tattoo. Okay. It is where my dad got most of his tattoos because I think he maybe got one from Panama, but to my knowledge, I think all of his are from Glenn. Mm-hmm. Glenn has also tattooed multiple of my older brothers, and he's done both of mine. Mm-hmm. And like this one, like this one on my back, it was a picture. I literally said, "Do this." He got it exact. This one, this was not a picture. This was me saying, "All right, take out your pen and paper. This is what I want. I want a Afro Juice skull with this specific skull because it's from an anime I like called One Piece. Because that's mm-hmm. the his name is actually Soul King, uh-huh. and he's the musician slash comedian for the Pirate Crew." Nice. And every captain of that show, their flag is a skull of their captain. And usually there's one defining feature. So the he's part of the Straw Hat crew, so their captain's flag is literally just a straw hat. But if he was the fucking guy, it would be him with his fucking... Because none of the skulls have noses, and that's uh-huh. important, the, the, the art style to distinguish from. And again, no one would know this unless they actually want, uh, asked me or watched One Piece, right. but... It was important enough to me to where I was like, well, he's always funny, he's always laughing, and he's just grateful to be alive because his whole backstory is sad. And I was like, okay, give me that skull, and instead of the bones behind him, make it mic stands, make them made out of bones. He fucking killed that, the shading. And then Uh the quote around it is an altered quote from a different anime I like. Again, very weeaboo in this uh, fucking show, but I like what I like. And the original quote is, meddling where you don't belong is the essence of being a hero. And that was that guy's quote, All Might. He's a fucking, he's like the number one hero in the show. Um, I love him. He's funny as fuck. And I think he's really what Superman was supposed to be. Uh This actual symbol of peace, All Might, justice. I mean, his name is All Might. What more do you need to hear? So like when I heard that quote, it just stood out so much to me. And it made me want to be a hero. But because I know I don't want to be a hero, I was like, that's such a powerful feeling. I want something like that on my arm. So I changed it to... Joking where we shouldn't is the essence of being a comedian. Because uh-huh. really, what other de- sentence could define a comedian? Right. right. I think That's that. Great. That's great. Um, do you think you'd ever get a quote? Have you ever heard a quote that you're like, fuck yeah, that? 
tie two birds together, though they have four wings, they cannot fly. That is a great quote. You, you came out of the gate <laughs> ready with that. You, it's as if you knew. <laughs> I have um, lots of those. Oh, that's a good one, though. But you're very spiritual and very open-minded, and I can see you being... Well, yeah, I mean, you like martial arts, and you like meditating, and you like all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. like, I mean, I like all that kind of stuff, too. And, like, uh, <laughs> you want to hear one of my favorite jokes that I recently started telling? Sure. So, when me and Abby were in Florida last time together, I was at a... Well, you know what Trader's World is? Yeah. Okay, they have a Trader's World down in Florida. I don't remember what it's called. But I was going through, and, you know, I was looking for rings, because I like these little skull rings, because... Uh -huh. My dad, Stinson, everybody around us, Hoover, always had rings like that. And I saw one, and it fi and usually my, I never find one that fit, but this one finally fit. So I was like, I have to get it. But I noticed it had a cross. Even though it looks like it's a Dios de los Matos, like the fucking skull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I noticed it had a cross, I'm like, well, shit. If somebody asks me if I'm religious, I have to have an answer. So now I've got one. Because I'm not religious. They're like, oh, are you? And it's like, well, uh, you know, I wear this ring because I have no faith in Christ, but I have a, a faith in my girlfriend who got me the ring. Uh -huh. And I think that's a good answer. Because I think at the end of the, <laughs> yeah. the, end of the day, like, I don't think it matters who you believe in. I just think you have to be a good person. What happens, happens. And I think you, you seem like you've come to that same epiphany of like, I don't think it matters what deity you fucking. Right. I mean, I go to Buddha church now. Uh -huh. Cause that shit's awesome. Like oh, yeah. they don't they don't let you wear shoes. I don't like shoes. The fact that they're like no shoes, I'm Perfect. like yes, home. And like the fact that I can just put earbuds in, I can listen to Biggie Smalls and just like sit there for like an hour, legs crossed, thinking about the universe. Like that's nice. Uh -huh. That's a nice takeaway. And I can't do that in a Catholic church. Why? Because they're raping little boys. I mean, uh, uh, doing whatever they're doing. Uh, uh. <laughs> We're on the run. Um, but like I don't know. I just I've never been religious i tried to be because everybody around me was but it just never felt right mm -hmm. especially like and it was hard to break out of that especially because like my dad's got jesus christ tattooed on his arm and like my mother gets very upset when i diss jesus because she's like do you think people who worship are dumb i'm like well yeah she goes what do you think i'm dumb i'm like well no she goes but i worship i'm like well you're just confused <laughs> and she does not like that answer um is Kay religious uh, she doesn't seem like it on the surface level well, when she was a kid, she was very, very religious. She yeah, that always like, happens. Like, you know, very, well, like, probably John, read the Bible more dude, John than John Mulaney said it best. I went to church on Sunday because I had no choice. Right. You're a kid. You're not like, I'm staying home. They're right. like, get your shit and get in the car. You don't have a choice. Right, but she really, she really embraced it Digged as a it. young kid. Okay. Um, but then, you know, years went by afterwards, and I think we're both in a place now where we're like... Uh, People use the word spiritual. We're into spirituality. Oh my God, me and Abby um, said the whole time. They're like, are you religious? I'm like, we're spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. funny answer. I mean, religion, I think, was, in my, the way I think about it, religion was very important for where people were at the time. Back then. Because they yeah. needed some kind they of rules. They needed some kind but, of organization. Yeah. But yeah. now that we're so much more advanced, we've caught up past a lot of it, and we've gotten a lot more common sense in us. Because yeah, now it's I not think... about murder guy, take wheat, I now have wheat for farm. Right. It's now, there are laws in place, there are cameras everywhere. Behave yourself, motherfucker. Right, <laughs> right. And so, what I like about um, Buddhist-type teaching, mm -hmm. I don't I don't ever sit and pray to Buddha or pray to anybody. Right. But, but they've got damn to good teach teachings. you how your mind works yes. is so incredible. You walk away going, 
Oh. That's a totally different look on everything. Yeah. Like one of the, my, cause I, I have a book somewhere here on my bookshelf and it's like all the Buddha teachings. And one of them that's my favorite is no matter how mean or terrible your enemy is, speak light of him across all planes. That is the practice of Buddhists. And I'm like, that's nice. That's a nice yeah. thought. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's always just nice thoughts. And like when I read the Bible, I don't always walk away with nice thoughts. So I'm like, oh, this is something else. Especially because, like, I love Sonny because they're, they're right to it. They don't give a shit. They hate religion. And I fucking love that about them because they're right to it when they go to, like, um, Mac, a character in the show. He does not like gay people, even though later in the show he comes out as gay, which right. most people who don't like gay people are secretly closeted very deep in the closet. Right. And <laughs> he goes, he's writing, reading this Bible verse to these gay guys, and he's like, Exodus this, and it's like, a man shall not lay with a man. And he goes, oh, I love this game. And he takes the Bible and he goes, and he reads this passage where it's like, um, I, I believe this is the quote. If I'm misquoting, it's the Bible, so I don't want to give a shit. And it goes as follows. It goes, if a man is to beat his slave and he is to die, he is to be punished. However, if the man is to beat that slave and the slave is to get up after a couple days, he is to not be punished for the slave is his property. And this is a black man telling this to Mac. And Mac goes, well, that's from... That's from a different section. That's not my section. Oh, now you get sections. You like certain chapters of the Bible, not others. Motherfucker, it's still in the same binding. I don't know. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I was religious, but breaking out of that middle town kind of, like, smaller home society of country living, but up north, and, mm -hmm. you know, be Ma and Paul, but now yeah, we're in the north, so what the hell's going on here? It's like we got confused, and we should have been relocated down south. Um, but, like, I don't know. I just, I don't see a point to it. I have a lot more shit I like to do on my Sundays. <laughs> and, like, I, I, this was, and, okay, take it as you will, but I am now very confused on he, how to even treat people that I thought were good people because um, I don't give a shit if it's against your practicing or if it gets this or that. When Pope Francis came out and said, you know, same-sex marriage is definitely forgivable, forgivable by God, I'm tongue-twisting, um, that should have showed people you shouldn't get upset about any kind of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Okay, our Pastor Terry from fucking where we live refused to marry two dudes in the church. He quit being a preacher because of that. Mm -hmm. My opinion? Good! If you can't put aside your shit and just do it and just marry the two dudes mm -hmm. who are trying to have a Catholic wedding who the Pope said they could have, right. what the fuck? It has to be on your own moral shit. Right. You're not defending some book. You're following it blindly. Right. And yeah. that's not good, right? I, yeah, well, I agree. I mean... Because I think it's good to take morals and things like that, but when you follow it as, like, literacy, as, like, actually happened, that's where it gets dangerous. And, like, I like Penn and Teller. Again, we were talking about magicians right, earlier. Right. They they have that show called Bullshit where they fucking tell you what's bullshit, and they go through the Bible, and, like, they ask all these very famous religious figures, like, was the Red Sea real? Was the Ark real? And they're like, no, no. These teachings are not supposed to be taught as literate. They're supposed to be stories that teaches you like morals. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But then when you have all these people like building an actual Ark and they're like, this is what it looked like. Right. No, the fuck it didn't, you fucking <laughs> asshole. You're just trying to get foot traffic for ticket sales. 
I don't know. Church is like a whole big circus ticket sales to me, and I just don't get it. And like, I understand its presence in blues and country music, where it's like, well, God, damn, or like, yeah, like whatever. And I get it because it, it, it's that feeling of something you're trying to convey some kind of feeling to that listener at that moment of like either there's some deity above or you felt some kind of presence or something i get that but then when it's very like jesus loves me i'm like oh i wish he didn't like i'm just i'm good on that like i don't need any more jesus-y lyrics and like i like Cyril simpson because he brought what felt like to me psychedelics into country mm -hmm. because he has this one song called like um turtles all the way down or something like that and yeah i gotta remember it and it's very like steel guitar, like like all country musician soundings. Like I'm not doing it justice, but like that's good that he decided. Well, I could follow the religious path, I could follow the normal country path, or I could forge my new path. And again, that's why I like you as a musician. It felt like you forged your own little path through blues. Like it was kind of similar to some stuff, but it was very different because again, a lot of blues I've heard, it's. It's presence is there, but it's not loud, loud. But you're always loud, loud. I fucking love it. Because me and Dave said, if it's too loud, you're too old. Yeah, that's right. And we don't give a shit what you want to hear. <laughs> Especially on this show. Um, well, listen, if you have anything else you'd like to play, I'd like to give you one more chance to play a little something. And we might call it here just so we're not sweating in this room forever. Because I am getting moist. <laughs> um... I'll just play, uh, let's see. It's a thing called Cabana Days. It's on the record. I'll just play just a little piece. I want to sit and listen. This is going to be amazing. Please enjoy, enjoy. America. sample that and use that for like a sound button now i hope you're okay with that because that was fucking amazing listen this is why i had you on here because while you don't think you're it i think you're phenomenal i think that was a fucking masterpiece and like oh my god that just gave me so many flashbacks to like so many rock songs i've heard and so many like tenacious d openings of kyle glass and jack black do you like tenacious d yeah of i fucking love tenacious d have you listened to their new album at all no post-apocalypto it's funny as fuck and like that's a good example of like albums being like movies for the ears. Uh -huh. And I love albums that are like movies for the ears. So I'm going to recommend you one album that if you can, you should try to listen to on your drive home because it's the, again, it's one of those albums that like, it's a transition album. Mm -hmm. So it's just made to where you listen it from the first to the last song, especially because they covered In Bloom by Nirvana uh -huh. and it's totally different than I've ever heard it covered. Um, it's Sturgill Simpson. It's called uh, uh, Sailor's Guide to Earth. Uh -huh. And it almost won album of the year, but it didn't. 
Um, I know, right? <laughs> Bullshit. I think a Drake album won. I was like, what the fuck? Um, but that album easily is one of the best examples of music that I think you should personally listen to, especially on Drive Home, um, because that's a good example of like, oh shit and then just like oh more shit and then oh it keeps going because I'm hoping that's what happens with your album because it looks I mean this looks professional as shit I love it what's the album cover? so I see uh, the little girl on the on the guitar and that's really sweet looking so uh, Zoe that's my granddaughter oh shit really? I think she was three or three or four or something like that so when she would be at the house I'd sit on the step and I'd practice and her and Kay would dance. Yeah. So this one day, I'm sitting on the step to practice, and she came up behind me like that. Yeah. And put her hands on the guitar like that, and somebody just happened to take a picture. So then That's I took crazy. the picture, and then we printed it onto uh, canvas. And someone and painted Kay, it. Kay painted it. Kay painted this? Yeah. So, this is Kay's painting? Yeah. This looks professional as shit. Yeah, so what happened was... She, Can Kay paint? No. <laughs> That's what's funny. So, so check it out. So... We have this dog, and a long series of events. The dog jumps off the bed, hits Kay in the head at the same time. She gets a concussion. I remember this. Yeah, totally I remember this. out of it. So she asks for Christmas. She goes, oh, you know, I think I'd like some painting stuff. And I'm like, all right. So I buy some canvases and brushes and stuff. And I'm expecting, like, a stick figure. She's drawn like that fucking guy on television. You Bob know? Ross. Yeah. Con oh, my like, God, the concussion did it. Yeah. Knock some art juice loose. Yeah. And so she could paint. She was painting really well. And so now that that's all healed, now she's back to stick figures almost. No shit. Really? Yeah. She doesn't have, even have an interest as much. The concussion made her paint well. Yeah. There's something in her brain changed, and she could paint. That is one of the most amazing things anyone has ever said. And I'm... Oh my god, like this album, knowing Kay painted this changed a lot of my interest from like pretty interested to really fucking interested. Like, oh my god. And then you're on the back playing guitar. What What's the guitar you're playing? Is that a... Um, it's some kind of a Gibson. I, yeah, bought, I, I say, borrowed it a Gibson? from a friend of mine. Um, Nick Georgette had a, it's a Gibson something. It's kind of a rare thing. It's got a double cutaway on top. Um, it looks badish, so I badass just, as fuck, and I see the tuner. I see the mouse cursor, yeah, and I love yeah. that. I put that to point to at the uh, fire fire extinguisher. I was about to ask, is that on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> so the whole record. I don't know. When I was a kid, uh, my dad would collect Playboy magazines. Okay. So aside from why the, would he? Yeah. Oh, why for the articles? I yeah. like to read them. So besides all the obvious stuff, yeah. one of the really cool things, if you didn't know that, was they hid bunnies. On the cover of every magazine, some of them were real blatant, like the like the model would be wearing ears or something. Yeah. Some of them were completely hidden. Super hidden. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it was always there. There was there. So oh what I God. did with this record is I hid stuff all throughout the record. Some that are obvious, some that aren't obvious. Are you um, glad that I noticed that on camera? Yeah, That's that funny was as very fuck. Because cool. I was like, he's pointing that right at the goddamn thing. That has yeah. to be on purpose. Yeah. Read the the uh, this one here. This is like. When records started coming out, they used to call them different things, you know, to get you to be like high fidelity or this or that. Yeah. So I just put like all of them in one. <laughs> high fidelity, micro groove, stereophonic sound recording. Jesus, yeah. Murphy. It sounds like you invented a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And inside, when you open it up, there's a bunch of guitars in, in a field that, that, uh, of a picture I took in Arizona. And there's a Night Stalker. Um, emblem which is on my amplifier but it's in there somewhere hidden 
That's fucking awesome. So it's just fun. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I love the little, especially when comedies do that. Like, because if you put it in a comedy, especially in a show, like, someone's going to laugh at that joke now. And then rewatch it like a year later and notice new things. Sure. That's evolving comedy that hasn't gone anywhere. And that's what I hope this show becomes to people is stuff that they re-listen to and they're like, oh, I didn't get that joke until I maybe heard it again or mm-hmm. I didn't understand Brighton's need to burp and shit on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, this has been a fucking treat. I, I just can't stop looking at this album. Um, do you want to plug potentially any social media or the name of the album or... What's it called? It's called Dust of My Heart. Dust Off. Dust, dust off, off My, my heart. heart. Sorry, not of. Dust Dust Off My Heart. I like the... I just... I can't believe Kay painted that. Yeah. That's fucking me up super hard. I'm going to tell you, Kay, can you really not paint anymore? Like, she said, no. The concussion did it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys listen to this when it comes out. She's like, oh my God, I didn't think you guys were going to talk about me a lot. Yeah, probably most <laughs> of the time, yeah. <laughs> um, she's, she told me on the way out, she goes, now look, don't talk about Johnny Depp. I said, I won't. Johnny Depp? Well, we talked about... Kate all the time. It's funny. Wait, where does the Johnny Depp comic come <laughs> Now we gotta go. Oh shit, yeah, I guess. Uh, listen, this has been this boy radio show. Before we start talking about Johnny Jep, Johnny Jep, Johnny Jep, fucking whatever. Uh, Johnny Depp will fucking be back on this last culture shock. I hope you enjoyed a little bit of live playing from Michael Locke, who I, in my opinion, think this is the easily best guitarist on this show, let alone that I know. <laughs> in Besides, this room. yeah, but in this oh, room. Oh wait, no, you play. Well, yeah. I'm not good. <laughs> so we'll get off here. We'll let you listen to your last culture shock. This has been in chair one. Michael Locke. And this has been the Disappointing Radio Show. Enjoy. Do you want to give me a little fucking strum out? You had your beer and you looked so comfortable. like You looked like an album cover. I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I wasn't ready for it. Uh, give, me like a, give me like a... <laughs> Bye, bitches. <laughs> this next song is Guess Who by Michael. And it is Loving You on Credit. I played a lot off that album, but it's a damn good album, Michael. Um... Listen, I don't know why you don't have millions of listeners every month, but you definitely deserve them. I also thought it'd be funny to talk shit about the most recent friend listening to music right now, and it's my friend Jamie listening to Cars by Gary Newman. So that's a funny fucking difference of music taste. But we're still pals. And, you know, people are different from Michael, and he's pals with everybody. Why? There's just that friendly vibe to certain individuals. And it, it was an honor to have you on the show. I hope everybody liked the things we talked about. I know I enjoyed talking about them with you. Um, I don't know if you can hear the little candy in my mouth. But I gargle it like you're going to gargle this fucking jazz. Do you like jazz? Because you're about to. Please take Loving You on Credit next. And we'll be back after this. Keep your clothes on my back.
Listen, Michael, these songs are funny. They're amazing. I love them. Um, I'm glad that you took the time to make them because they'll always be there. And now they'll always be in this show. And so will you because you decided to waste your day talking shit with me. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
I hope you enjoy. I hope Kay enjoyed. I hope my mom enjoyed. She'll probably not listen this far in. Um, but on record, I said it. I hope she enjoys. Um, Checking on My Baby is the last song. Michael, thank you for producing not only all of these songs, but hopefully a million more albums to come. As the last culture shock, we will not be back after this. Please enjoy. <laughs>
Myself another chick 